The Paranet Podcast, a Dresden Files book club. Welcome to The Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Lunn and... Patrick Lunn. Rob Davis. Shit. Uh, oh, oh, yes. That's that's who I am. You are. Wow. Okay, that's that's not me off. <laughs> Surprise. Um. Okay. Okay. Uh. So. <laughs> uh. Today, uh, we'll uh be talking about um a little bit of uh new stuff from Jim Butcher around peace talks. Um, and then moving on to the penultimate, I think, um, episode of our Stormfront book club. Um, so, uh, as we're kind of nearing the end and lots of fun stuff to start off with, but before all of that, um, Rob, how is reading cold days going? Holy shit. <laughs> it's going really well. I've I started it uh, Sunday morning, I think. Um, I'm I just crossed over halfway. Uh, I'm loving it so far. Like I I was saying to you prior to recording this that I kind of knew bits. Like uh, obviously you know that he's the winter knight. You know he's working case for Mav. Um, <clears throat> spoilers. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it. To be, I don't know, both books since changes, I wasn't expecting the change to the status quo to be as big as it has been. You weren't expecting the changes from changes? No, I mean, yeah, I wasn't expecting it to affect it that much. Like, he'd come back to Chicago, get, like, the Blue Beetle again, but it'd be a different colour. His apartment would have been rebuilt through doing some good deed or some shit like that, you know? Yeah. I was, I was just really, I was expecting the only real consequence from changes to really stick. It would be the uh, end of the Red Court spoiler, um, and the whole Winter Night thing. So I, 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 I'm surprised that we're still kind of dealing with the fallout of uh, the climax of changes as well. Yeah, um, that's it's kind of a theme that runs uh, through Skin Game as well. Is that like? This is um, a big shake-up. Um, and I guess it's both kind of um, serial TV shows and, and like comic books and stuff. We're so used to kind of a, a character keeping an established status quo. Um, it's it's kind of refreshing, I guess, to yeah, definitely. see something like this where like um, we've had that kind of status quo maintained for like 11 books and then... Jim Butch has just kind of turned it on its head. Absolutely. It's I mean, following on from that, it's it's really good to see it kind of change genre. I mean, it, it did it in a really subtly way across like twelve books, where the first couple were really heavy on the whole uh, detective noir kind of side of things, and then it's gradually become more and more of a fantasy epic as we've gone on. Yes, definitely. Um, awesome, yeah. So, um, coming through cold days, uh, there are some references to Stormfront. Uh, so, I guess, have you found it kind of uh, rewarding reading Stormfront alongside cold days? Definitely. And again, I think this is something we covered 
uh, whenever I was reading changes or ghost story, I think that was a, like a bit of a throwaway line of like, um, I know Victor sells the antagonist from um, a few books later and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like, oh, well, something had to have kickstarted that. And I didn't think it would like ever be picked up again. I just thought that was kind of, you know, a passing throwaway line. So it's, it's pretty cool that um, the chap, one of the chapters I've just read actually was uh, Dresden being told that there's a, I don't know how to word it, um, a taint. Like a larger force at play. Yeah, the taint. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> definitely a larger force at play, which is behind the corruption of people like Victor Sells um, in Stormfront and various other antagonists. And I, I really like the idea. And again, it's not force it it explains things and sets things up perfectly because i mean like with victor sells and a lot of the antagonists we're gonna come across in the next couple of books it feels like they've just gone (laughs) they just went a bit mental and it it seems to be like a lust for power kind of thing as opposed to i don't know like anything else external yeah uh and and a point that i think we're gonna We'll kind of circle back to um, there's 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 a point in chapter twenty four uh, of uh, of Stormfront where I wonder if Dresden was almost infected by the taint, yeah, uh, and was protected by his amulet. Um, which uh, I, th- I think if that's the case, and maybe maybe uh, Butcher will come back to that, um, it's it's incredible to think that the stuff that he's built in uh, since the start of Dresden. I mean, it, it makes sense with this whole coming back to his creative writing teacher with a 20-book outline. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um. I think I think there are like running themes and stuff through the book, um, that uh, and through the series um, that Butch has done a great job of kind of bedding in early, and uh, that's something that, that that this whole kind of project has has shown me. Same, so far. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, well, we'll kind of check back in when you finish Cold Days, uh, which. At the rate that you're going, sounds like it might it might be next week. <laughs> Where we're going, I'm I'm hoping that maybe this time next week, either cold days will be done, or I'll be like halfway through skin game. But we'll we'll see what happens. Awesome, yeah. Um, skin game, I think, is one of the most underrated. Um, and personally, I I mean, changes is the one that a lot of people talk about um, as as being like the best of Dresden Files, and and it probably is, but. Um, I would still put Skin Game quite high up there um, as one of my favourites from from Jim Butcher. Um, partly because I, I feel like his style has just got better and better um, as he gets on the gets on through the series, and that's kind of why I'm so interested to see uh, what happens with Peace Talks and Battlegrounds. Yeah, um, which is cool because that moves us on to our next topic. Um, so. I, uh, when we're researching this, um, normally start by checking out uh, the Dresden Files um, official website. 
um, and was absolutely shocked to discover that uh, Jim Butcher has dropped the first chapter of Peace Talks. Right, have you read um, it? I haven't. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I haven't read it either. But, I mean, why would I, you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, the the first line um, it does a bit of a changes with a, a pretty a pretty serious drop. Um, uh, I think I'll leave it and not say it. But if you want to go and find out more, uh, jump onto uh, jimbutcher dot com. Uh, links as always, um, and yeah, there's. Some pretty awesome stuff. Um, You've only got what a month, uh, and ten days, maybe a month and ten days. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it, I think it's it's just over forty days now uh, until Peace Talks comes in. Um, and just like, I, so I haven't read this partly because it's, um, I'm a massive fan of the James Masters reading. Yeah, um, and I kind of, I kind of want to wait until that comes out and then listen to it all. Which apparently it will be coming out on uh, July the fourteenth, alongside um, the physical copy. So that's pretty cool. Um, but just scanning, um, there's a couple of of main characters like uh, Ebenezer Ramirez. Um, uh, Thomas, uh, Justine, and uh, Harry himself that all come up in this first chapter. Um, and already in there, there's, there's a couple of my favourites. Um, love a bit of Ebenezer, love Ramirez. Um, and, and anything with Harry and Thomas is it's kind of quite sweet in its own way. Um, Sorry, so I'm looking forward to that. Where I'm at in cold days, it's very uh, Thomas and Harry heavy for the last couple of chapters. Which isn't, which is fine. And it's great that they're back to that after about two books of not. But um, their dynamic at the moment is wrong. I don't know if I've just maybe not noticed it before. Um, with James Masters's recording as well, but um, their their dynamic at the moment, especially, really reminds me of Sam and Dean Winchester from Supernatural. I, I have heard that um, a couple of times on Reddit and stuff. Um, it continues to it continues in that sort of vein for a while. Nice. Um, yeah, very much because where you're at, um, I guess like there's a bit more Dresden's a little bit more grey um, in like or in the way he's seen as others morally at least he's seen as a bit more grey. Um, so the uh Thomas is kind of backing um and support. Uh like Thomas understands that situation I think a lot better than most. Yeah. Uh, obviously with the being a vampire and and all that. Um and I think uh he he tries very hard to support Harry uh through through all of the kind of um, morally difficult moments, even if he himself isn't a hundred percent a force for good um, at all times. Um, 
he still recognizes like that Harry's trying to do something good and positive in the world. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Um, is is Cold Days the one where no? Uh, there's one where women are going missing. I think that might be book eleven. Um, and they suspect Thomas. It might be. Um, I think it's the one that introduces his boat. So that would be before changes. Yeah. Um, it might have been book. At the moment, I might say book nine because I remember that being very White Court central. Yeah. Um. But he he kind of acts in that in that sort of way a way a bit more where it, it's a little bit hard sometimes to tell if what he's doing is good or good or bad. Mm. Um, but on the whole, his actions might be a bit like rash, but they are good, yeah. um, which uh, I really like. Um, I, I, I yeah, uh, Thomas is a great character um, and. Again, I like that with changes and with the, some of the books before that, um, Jim Butcher didn't just kind of solve the problem the problem of Thomas in like book six or seven, and then just let it lie. He he creates new problems for Thomas, um, and and Justine, um, his his lover, which is uh, very interesting, I think. Absolutely agree. Thomas was one of my favourite characters from the moment he's introduced, just because it's it's. I think when we're introduced to him, it's clear that he's like the black sheep of his family, um, and he's kind because of, he's he's sent to um, oh, like some big vampire meeting party type thing, but he's sent there as a kind of to insult like the other houses because he's not thought of as, you know. As as held highly as his uh, siblings, yeah, uh, definitely, and it kind of he's shown as an ally from very early on. I think um, Harry takes a liking to him, definitely, even even then. Um, maybe it's because Harry takes a liking to kind of black sheep, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so. That uh, introductory chapter of uh, Peace Talks, uh, definitely worth giving a read. Um, like I say, uh, I haven't given it a read yet. Um, I probably, my curiosity will probably get the better of me. Uh, and just reading those first couple of lines, my, my curiosity will definitely get the better of me before next week. Uh, so I might I might give a little update on that. Um, I would also... Uh, especially if you're a long-time reader of the series, super recommend checking out Jim Butcher's website. Um, he puts up new content on a weekly basis at the moment, sometimes even more frequent than that, um, including like where to get really good Dresden Files merch, uh, where to get uh, more information, side stories, uh, little tidbits about characters. Um, uh, and, and yeah, I super recommend checking it out because it definitely makes the Dresden Files feel a lot more alive um, and active, I suppose, um, than, uh, than, than just the books. It adds another dimension. Um, yeah, cool. 
So, uh, heading over to the book club. Before we uh, get we'll there, start. If you remember oh, last yes, week, yes, I, I always. <laughs> I mentioned last week the whole um, uh, sum up Dresden Files in a sentence, and we we didn't go back to it before the end of the episode. So, uh, real quick, if you had to if if you had to sum up Dresden Files in a sentence to sell it to someone, what would it, what would it be? Um, I'm gonna go with the X Files for magic. Oh, that's good. I like that. Um, <laughs> I'd probably uh, start with. Uh, hmm. A guy tries to do good. Shit happens. That's that's not a bad summary, to be honest. <laughs> to me, that's the summary of all of them. Like he's always trying to do right by everyone, <laughs> but it always kind of explodes out of control a bit. Yeah, um, I think maybe maybe the reason my changes is, is uh, such an impact on the series is because that's an example where he tries to do good and get the best outcome but mm. he isn't 100% able to yeah um, and I think I think it's interesting to see how that, how it challenges him um, and, and a, a lot of the earlier books play with similar ideas where he kind of can't win every battle um, and I think I think yeah uh, definitely that's a good way of looking at it um, I think X files with magic um if you it's 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 got that kind of the truth is out there vibe to it um right from the beginning of Dresden files that like magic and uh monsters and and and, and the nether nether the other world are all things that exist um you just haven't come across it cuz you're kind of a, a mortal who's going about their everyday life and stuff, but um, there is there is another world out there. Uh, and I think I, that's something that originally I found really interesting about Dresden Files because it felt like the, like the world of Dresden Files and my day-to-day world could theoretically at least exist, mm. um, which is kind of cool and fun way to think about it. And I guess it's kind of the draw to stuff like Harry Potter, um yeah. in a in a very real sense um yeah um it's got that magic realism feel um i guess it's it relatable being set in a place that actually exists as well yeah um so something fun that uh you can definitely do with the dresden file series um pretty much every location um is uh, based on a real uh, real life building or place, um, I think there's there's occasional liberties taken more with um, like the in t- inside of buildings, uh, insides of buildings, but um, definitely the like external locations. The majority of them do exist. Uh, so as you read the books, um, it is possible for you to kind of Google Maps and and follow along with Dresden, um, which is, is awesome and, and really cool um, and adds like a deeper dimension, I guess. 
to it. I didn't know that. Um, so. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, shall we move over to the book club? Yeah, let's dive in. Cool. Uh, so, uh, last time in Stormfront, um, we saw uh, things kind of heating up uh, in in all directions, really. As Dresden was putting together the, the final pieces of the puzzle, um, he visited uh, Monica Sells uh, and um, worked out that it was her husband, Victor Sells, that was the Shadow Man. Um, they, we talked about how the big um, kind of the, the breaking point of Monica Sells was when Victor Sells was looking at uh, perhaps using the children, uh, her children, in some sort of ritual. Uh, that's when she turned to Dresden and tried to bring him in on the case. Then she got too scared of Victor Sells uh, and thought that he could turn uh, and kill Dresden, um, or he could find out that she like betrayed him. Um, and then uh, Dresden uh, tried to get in contact uh, with Murphy um, to kind of bring down uh, the thunder from from the police uh, on Victor Sells. Um, when he uh, called Murphy, uh, first he got in contact with uh, Murphy's partner, who told Dresden um, that. Murphy was at his office uh, serving an arrest warrant, not knowing that it was Dresden on the phone. Um, and then uh, he tried to call Murphy uh, herself. Uh, the phone picked up, um, but it sounded like uh, there was no one answering properly. Um, and uh, there were gunshots and all sorts of things. Uh, and Dresden uh, 100% is fearing for Murphy's life. As we go into chapter 24. Yeah. Uh, nope, as we go into chapter 22, <laughs> um, which is where uh, you pick it up, Rob. Yeah, we pick things up pretty much exactly where we left it off. Uh, Dresden gets to his office, runs up. Uh, I, I don't know why this stuck out to me, but he runs him, him describing how he runs up like five flights of stairs. Like I felt out <laughs> of breath from that. <laughs> um. Yeah, so he gets us to his office. Um, he finds Murphy is, you know, down for the count for the moment, um, and he's being all careful around the room. And the Scorpion amulet only attacks him once he's put like his uh, staff and blasting rod down, and Murphy's cuffed him. Yeah. Um, she's in a bit of a state from being poisoned, but she's she cuffs him and is spouting a load of shit from earlier. Um, yeah, so Dresden does the best he can in that situation to kind of defend himself from the scorpion, throwing furniture at it and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Manages to get Murphy out of the office with him, and they get into the lift. Um, and I think at this point he's debating using uh, fire magic, which is his kind of go-to. But he doesn't have his yeah. uh, blasting rod or staff, and he has next to no control over his magic really outside of that for um like he can't refine it i guess um and then he gets the genius idea of using like a wind spell to crush the scorpion against the roof of the building which thankfully works out in his favor um <laughs> and i think it's the end of that chapter start of the next one uh the ambulance he he called um 
for an ambulance when he found out Murphy was poisoned. Um, and I really like it when the ambulance team shows up and he's like doing a little victory celebration of um, defeating Scorpion. He's like, yeah, up, up yours, Victor Sells. You can't come for me. I'm the champ, baby. And he's like, <laughs> he's like proper parading around until he remembers he's handcuffed to Murphy. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we go into the next chapter, chapter 23. Um, yep. He manages to you know, slip out of the handcuffs, uh, decides that you know, he needs to get to the lake house and stop Victor Sells. We're getting close to that storm coming and, you know, we're full signs pointing to him being the next victim. Um, mm-hmm. to get himself a car. So he heads over to Mac's bar. And I, I know we did a lot of focus on Mac earlier, but uh, with it being neutral ground, at this point, a lot of magical beings are hanging out in this place, just trying to lay low from Victor Sells. And I really like how it described the atmosphere when Dresden walks in. Um, we'll come back to that as well. But um, uh, he asks Mac if he can borrow his car, which you know, Mac doesn't even look up, just chucks him the keys and is like, yeah, sure. Don't even think mm-hmm. he's sure. I think he just froze him the keys. Um, <laughs> as Dresden tries to leave, uh, we're confronted with our favourite warden, Morgan, um, who again is like, you're, you're, you're staying here, you're I know I know what you're doing. You're going to use the storm to kill because you're a nutcase. And at this point, we're we're, we're out of time. So Dresden just uh, I think like slaps him around the back of a chair. No, punches him in the yeah, stomach. Yeah, right. like, Grabs the chair and like cracks it over his back. And that that's a line that I really like because where I'm at in cold days. He he just did the same thing in Max Bar, like cracking a chair over someone, and it used the same line of, "Oh, in the movies, when you crack a chair over someone, the chair breaks, but in real life, the person breaks." And I thought that was, <laughs> whether it's a callback or if it's just, you know, I know it's it's just really cool to hear it twice in one day, um, from two different. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. After after you know. Giving Morgan the slip as well. We get to chapter twenty-four. Harry reaches uh, Victor Sells's uh, lake house. Um, he opens his third eye, and I think we mentioned earlier he's then tempted by the dark magic and corrupting influence, which kind of brings us back to the whole taint thing, which we'll go into in a second. Um, yeah, and I really like this bit because, and I don't know if it's because I was reading the graphic novel before. But I just don't remember the whole, like the whole thing of his mother reaching out to him, and kind of setting him back on the right path. And that's something we need to discuss as well, which I'm sure we will. Um, <laughs> once this, once that's happened, Harry is like more determined to finish the case, sort Victor Sells out, and yeah, and we we are set up perfectly for the next couple of chapters as we roll head first into the climax of the book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so the, there's a lot to go through here um, yeah. as, we're, as we're kind of getting to, to the end um, and um, there's some real, like, action and then uh, there's some little hints uh, at later books and stuff. Um, the, the line about um, the like the chairs breaking and 
in the movies, the chair breaks in the uh, in real life, the the man breaks or whatever. Um, that uh, I, th- I think that's definitely a callback um, of sorts, um, which is is quite cool. I like that, and and again, it's it's just again how rewarding it is to to come back at, uh, at these books uh, time and time again. Um, so the first thing that we that we wanted to talk about um, was. Dresden as a caster. Um, so something that uh, we come back uh, that comes up time and time again in the series is that Dresden is one of the most powerful uh, casters in terms of the raw power he can bring to bear. However, he suffers greatly with inaccuracy. Mm. Um, and um, if he was just to use his magic uh in the middle uh, like with with no focus to to guide it um he would create some of the the worst collateral damage i suppose that any wizard could create um that's something i really like as well because at this point where we're at he needs to use the blasting rod along with his staff to kind of focus and channel like yeah destructive magic but and it reminded me of um not one of the later books, but I think maybe book four or five, where um, for whatever reason he doesn't have like his wizardy stuff with him, and <clears throat> he just takes a risk and like uses fire magic to escape like a tight situation, and I think at that point mm-hmm. it's one of the first times that he used like that kind of destructive power without anything to refine it, and <laughs> if I remember correctly, it brings down the entire building. So, <laughs> yeah, it's that sort of level. Um, I I kind of think of it a bit like uh, Cyclops from the X Men with his visor. It's definitely. Like uh, he he needs. Yeah, without without the without the visor to kind of channel it, it's just kind of like wild power going all over the place. Um. So I guess like, why do you think that uh, Jim Butcher made him this sort of caster instead of making him like a very refined sniper style um i guess so he's just not over like it's why he doesn't rely on it too much i guess um it's kind of like riding a bike with the training wheels on um <laughs> I mean, like if if you look at dresden throughout the series where i'm at now i'm pretty sure he hasn't used the blasting rod in the book i'm in he just uses it without any real focus because he's in a shit situation and has to do it. Um, and he has a mm. lot more, I say a lot more control, but more control over it than he does at this point. And I think the reason why he has that quality in the early books is again, it kind of creates a bit of a flaw. Like he, we know that he's pretty powerful in terms of destructive power, but him not being able to control it kind of puts a, um, and it's like, it, it, it makes the character restrain it. So it's, it's not going to solve... Magic isn't going to solve every problem he comes across. He's not going to solve it by blowing it up. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, as well, um, it's a good way to create a, a character that doesn't really have an upper limit of his power, um, but still has a restriction on it. Yeah. Um, so I guess if he had been created that he wasn't particularly powerful but could use magic in very precise ways, um, 
it would have made it difficult down the line uh, to keep him uh, pushing like higher and higher in, in his kind of power levels and dealing with bigger threats. Whereas this way, it's like, I've got the power that I can tap into. I just need refinement, training, skill. Um, and uh, I guess, uh, yeah, like like you say, it's, it's, it's a good show that we're still early on in, in his kind of journey mm-hmm. uh, as a wizard. Um, and I think, I think that that's uh, it's really important um, when when creating a character, especially a main character, to give them room to grow, like yeah. that. Um, and and I think it's something that that Jim Butcher does particularly well uh, with with both Dresden and and a lot of the characters, the, the kind of B B tier characters, if you want to call them that, or supporting cast. Um, there, there's always parts of them that. Um, are incomplete or or have space to grow um, uh, that serve as a flaw for now, but c- could later be something that they can get rid of and chop and change. Um, it really makes me think of like a, a role playing character, yeah. I guess, uh, where um, you might have certain bond uh, bonds, flaws, and ideals in in D anD D, for instance. Uh, that can open up story possibilities, but also give you something to overcome and change. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's it's very good writing on the part of Jim Butcher um, to give Dresden the potential to be like uh, a, I think he calls himself a world heavyweight magician. Yeah, um, and and kind of be like he's on that path, but he's not there yet. Um, which is cool. I mean, kind of following on from that, there's a line, it might have been chapter three, I think. Um, he mentions the whole, again, you know, being a bit of a heavyweight wizard, but even there, there, there's a limit to how much they can dish out, like even the amount of magic he's used across this one book and, whatever time frame it is like 48 hours or whatever like he's done more magic than he has on on like a normal day which would even put like a, a well-experienced wizard kind of you know out of action for a couple of days to rest mm-hmm. stamina i guess it comes into it and that's something else i like kind of kind of like with the whole training wheels thing with his magic is that there's only so much he can do yeah, that that's a really interesting aspect because I think as the books progress, we kind of see his stamina improving. Yeah. Um, or also, I think um, the second book actually does this really well uh, as as we're kind of moving across to there slowly, um, where early on in the book he uses a lot of flashy magic, and then towards the end he kind of regrets it, whereas. Uh, once once we get a bit later in the series, he starts to kind of ration it out a bit more. Yeah. Um, and I think I think there's a couple of lines where it shows him consciously thinking about how much magic he wants to use early in early in the case versus towards the end of it, uh, and kind of keeping stuff in reserves and stuff. And that and that it's a great show of the experience that he's going through. Oh, definitely. Awesome, yeah. Um, cool. So uh, moving on, um, 
last kind of check-in on Harry and Murphy's relationship. Yeah. Um, um, what was I going to say? Uh, it, it kind of goes back to what we've been saying, where the first book, maybe the first two books especially, their relationship is very uneasy. Um, it's more like... like I know, like, you've got that guy at work that you get on with, but you don't really want to talk to him. <laughs> it's that yeah. kind of relationship, I feel. And, god damn, the fact that she's um doesn't trust him as much, and she's arresting him right now as well. And I think, uh, I think he gets arrested again in the next book, and maybe the book after... I know, I know it happens a few times, but, um, my god, it's annoying. i think i think i didn't i wasn't that fond of murphy until like book four maybe but she's become again like one of my favorite characters in the books yeah um i think i'm trying to remember when it was there's a point where where she rocks up at i think it's the carpenter's house yeah and harry harry views her with his sight oh Um, yeah Maybe it's book four with the the Black Indianarians. Uh It might be book three actually, because where um Carpenter is introduced, because I think he's using the site because he's come across that uh weird ghost guy they put down in a off screen case, and yeah. for whatever reason he in my head he seems to like fall to the floor or something, and it's Murphy who run who runs in to help him. But at this point, he hasn't turned like t- you know he's, he's still looking through his wizard sight thing, and it's like a burst, you know, bright light, angelic kind of appearance. Yeah, and she's kind of like an, an avenging angel with like a fiery sword, um, and I, that's it, it's freaking awesome. And that that was kind of the first point where because uh, the the sight. Um, We'll talk a little bit about the site in a minute, but one of the things that it does is shows you uh, the past, future, and present of, of an object, mm-hmm. um, and shows you the potential that an object could could or uh, could have possibly. Um, and I I almost felt at that point like it was a bit of Jim Butcher being like, "Okay, trust me here, guys. Like Murphy's going to become something incredible. Just bear with me." Also a bit of foreshadowing, um, I feel, because like from from that point and up until I think book five, when we have more of Knights of the Cross introduced and the swords and stuff like that, I think as soon as more swords are introduced, bit of a spoiler, but not really. I'm trying to keep it as spoiler free at the moment as I can. But um, g- given the background of the swords of the cross and stuff like that, I've just been waiting from that moment we just talked about for Murphy. Up until whenever it, whenever for her to just take up one of the swords, even if it's for like one scene. Oh, Rob! <laughs> sweet naive Rob. You, sweet, sweet naive Rob. You need to read Skin Game, my friend. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> I, um, the there is stuff around that idea um and it explains how murphy may or may not be related to the swords of the cross and what she 
could take up or couldn't or could um and kind of the options that she has with those swords uh and my word uh it, it opens up a whole world of possibilities oh my goodness <laughs> that's that's the best i can say without giving it all away <laughs> well, maybe we'll talk about it next week <laughs> maybe, maybe we will um uh yeah the, the there's some incredible, incredible uh, moments with the the Swords of the Cross um, in in skin game. Um, awesome, awesome. Uh, yeah, so I think um, again, it, it's just a, a good show of their distrust, how far their relationship has to go. Kind of all the points we've already covered. Um, but some, something I, I do like that it shows about Murphy here is that even when she's essentially drugged up on this scorpion poison and stuff, she is still focused on the mission. Yeah. Um, and she still uses the opportunities that she has to cuff Dresden. Um, and I think uh, something that I think uh, is really smart that she does actually is instead of cuffing Dresden's hands together, cuffing Dresden to herself, um, mm. which is a, is a way bigger problem for if Dresden wants to try and escape or cause problems. Cause even if Murphy passes out, she's like a dead weight on him. Yeah. Um, which it, it's a smart move uh, from, from Murphy given her situation. Um, so yeah, love that. Um, okay. Uh, so moving onwards, uh, we just want to talk a little bit about Max uh, in the storm. Um, I'm just going to get up a quote. Uh, but how did you uh, how did you find that section? I enjoyed it a lot. Like I like I think I briefly touched upon it in the uh, chapter summary overview. Um, the fact that you've got like all these different supernatural beings that are just hanging out there, lying low because they know that Victor Sells is coming to Dresden. Mm-hmm. I, I know. I I don't remember a scene like that happening since. But um, it's a nice touch, and it it shows a bit more about Max Place being the kind of being that neutral ground. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so I've got the quote. So I'll I'll uh, read that, and then uh, I'll I'll give some thoughts. It didn't take me long to walk to McAnally's. I came through the door in a storm of long legs, rain, wind, flapping duster and angry eyes. The place was packed, people sitting at every one of the 13 stools at the bar, at every one of the 13 tables, leaning against most of the 13 columns. Pipe smoke drifted through the air in a haze, stirred by the languidly spinning fans at uh, blades of the ceiling fans. The light was dim, candles burning at the tables in, and in sconces on the walls, plus a little grey stormlight sliding in through the windows. The light made the carvings on the columns vague and mysterious, the shadows changing them into a, in a subtle fashion. All of Mac's chessboards were out on the tables, but my sense of it was that those playing and watching the games were trying to keep their minds off of something that was disturbing them. They all turned to stare at me as I came in the door and down the steps, dripping rainwater and a little blood onto the floor. The room got really quiet. They were the have-nots of the magical community, hedge magi without enough innate talent, motivational strength to be true wizards. 
innately gifted people who knew what they were and tried to make as little of it as possible. Dabblers, herbalists, holistic healers, kitchen witches, troubled youngsters just touching their abilities and wondering what to do about it. Older men and women, younger people, faces impassive or concerned or fearful. They were all there. I knew them all by sight, if not by name. Um, so yeah, I, I think that, that sums it up really nicely. One of the things uh, about this is that it's it's a nice callback um, to the first description of Machinales, where he talks about the, the setting out of the 13 stools at the bar, the 13 tables and the 13 columns and the ceiling fans. Um, and, and using those kind of pillars of description to then build this scene around uh, is really cool and and um, makes it quite vivid um, in how the, how the scene has changed. Um, so yeah, I, I like that it builds up the the concept of the the magical community of Chicago that it's not just Dresden, it's not just Morgan and the Shadow Man. Um, there are lots of wizards um, of some level around, but uh, a lot of them are kind of background players in one way or another. Um, they're not going to be the ones that um, change everything or go into go into battle. They're just kind of there as much as any bystander would be there for a superhero or for a, a cop. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think this is, it's pretty cool because, um, the whole McAnally's scene actually with, with Morgan as well shows that, um, it's not just Dresden that's aware that there is something going wrong magically. Mm-hmm. Morgan even, um, admits, Morgan even says that he's worked out how, how Dresden, uh, in quotation marks is doing the crimes using the storms. Um, so it, it's kind of cool to see that it's not just Dresden that could come to that conclusion, that anyone could kind of look at it and do the, the magic math, I guess, to work out how to pull off that, that evocation. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it, it kind of makes me think of like, um, like scientists, I guess, um, before like a, a natural disaster is going to happen or something like they, they have all worked out that this is going to be the big one in one way or another uh, and are all kind of gathered in one place because they're not sure where else to be or what else to do. Um, and, then, and then of course, Max is the natural place to gather because on some level it is like a, it's like a bunker um, and it diffuses magical energy. Um, so yeah. And, and I love the, like you say, the moment when he comes in and everyone kind of turns, um, it gives a bit of a cowboy vibe, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah. Like the whole like the bar stops, um, uh, very dramatic and and has a bit of that film noir quality. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to throw in? Um, not at the moment to that. <laughs> no worries. Um, I feel anything else cool. I say at the moment for Max will probably just be too spoiler heavy. Yeah, I like it's so funny because so um, obviously Rob's reading Cold Days and, and we talk loads off the podcast as much as we talk on it about Dresden Files. Um, and 
there's so much from this first book that links to Cold Days and, and to other books that um, we're making lots of connections. Um, and it's something that I'm sure as we continue moving through and, and we hit each book, we're just going to find more and more of these, um, which is awesome. And, and I'm, I'm so looking forward to it. Um, and, I, and I think it's something that I haven't really seen. I've seen bits on Reddit or like where someone's found one of these things, but I think a whole chronicle of uh, all these kind of uh, tips of the hat and, and uh, wink and a smile from, from Jim Butcher um, is, is something that I, I hope that you guys out there are, are finding useful too. Um, cool. Okay. Uh, so uh, moving on to chapter 24 uh, and Harry rocking up at the house. Um, there is a great moment uh, of Harry opening his third eye um and opening it to the uh, and, and kind of how the dark magic that he's into that he sees interacts with him because he's got his third eye open um this might be one of the longest quotes that we've done on the show um so I'll, I'll try and get it get through it at a, a reasonable pace uh and then we'll we'll have a bit of a, a chat about it uh How can I explain what a wizard sees? It isn't something that leads itself readily to description. Describing something helps to define it, to give it limits, to set guardrails of understanding around it. Wizards have had the sight since time began, and they still don't understand how it works, why it does what it does. The only thing I can say is that I felt as though a veil of thick cloth had been lifted away from me as I opened my eyes again. And not only from my eyes, but from all my other senses, I could abruptly smell the mud and fish odour of the lake, the trees around the house, the fresh scent of the coming rain preceding the storm on the smoke-stained wind. I looked at the trees, saw them not just in the first green coat of spring, but in the full bloom of summer, the splendour of fall and the barren desolation of winter, all at the same time. I saw the house and each separate part of it as its own component, the timbers as part of spectral trees, the windows as pieces of distant sandy shores. I could feel the heat of summer and the cold of winter and the wind coming off the lake. I saw the house wreathed in ghostly flames and knew that those were part of its possible future, that fire laid down several of the many paths of possibilities that lay ahead in the next hour. The house itself was a place of power, Dark emotions, greed, lust, hatred, all hung over it as visible things, moulds and slimes that were strewn over it like Spanish moss with malevolent eyes. Ghostly things, restless spirits moved around the place, drawn to the sense of fear, despair and anger that hung over it. Mindless shades that were always to be found in such places, like rats in granaries. The other thing I saw over the house was a grinning, empty skull. Skulls were everywhere, wherever I looked, just at the edge of my vision, silent and still and bleached white, as solid and real as those a fetish, a fetishist had scattered them, as though a fetishist had scattered them around in anticipation of some bizarre holiday. Death. Death lay in the house's future, tangible, solid, unavoidable. Maybe mine. 
I shuddered and shoved the feeling away, no matter how strong the vision, how powerful the image gained with the sight. The future was always mutable, always something that could be changed. No one had to die tonight. It didn't have to come to that, not for them and not for me. But a sick feeling had settled into me. As I looked on this darkling house with all its sinking, stinking lust and fear, all of its horrid hate worn openly upon it to my sight, like a mantle of flayed human skin on the shoulders of a pretty girl with gorgeous hair, luscious lips, sunken eyes and rotting teeth. It repulsed me and it made me afraid. And something about it, intangible, something I couldn't name, called to me, beckoned. Here was power, power I had thrust aside once before in the past. I had thrown away the only family I had ever known to turn away power exactly like this. This was the sort of strength that could reach out and change the world to my will, bend it and shape it to my desiring, could cut through all the petty trivialities of law and civilization and impose order where there was none, guarantee my security, my position, my future. And what had been my, my reward for turning that power aside thus far? Suspicion and contempt from the very wizards I had acted to support and protect. Condemnation from the White Council, whose law I had clung to when all the world had been laid at my feet. I could kill the Shadow Man, now, before he knew I was here. I could call down fury and flame on the house and kill everyone in it. Not leave one stone upon another. I could reach out and embrace the dark energy he had gathered in this place draw it in and use it for whatever I wanted and the consequences be damned. So yeah, that's, uh, it's, that's about a page. Um, so it's quite a long quote, but I think it's the only way to, to really get into, get into this. Um, magic, uh, is, is alluring, um, in the Dresden Files series. Um, and, it's something that I, I kind of love about it because um, other series don't really discuss it um, in some cases. Like, um, uh, like take the X-Men, for instance. Um, there are a lot of mutants that try to hide their powers. Um, and it's very rare that you come across a, a mutant or a hero who, instead of angsting about their powers, talks about the potential they feel they have and what they could do with it. Um, and I think this is, is a very similar kind of moment where Dresden realizes if he wanted to, he could, uh, he could fucking rule Chicago if he wanted to, uh, quite easily. The Um, kind of representation I've seen is, um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know how familiar you are with it. Um, uh, quite. Oh, good. It should be easy. Um, in season six, I think it was season six, the one where there's not really a antagonist, and then Willow goes dark side. <laughs> where she goes full dark phoenix. Yeah, but um, yeah. <laughs> uh, throughout the whole season, I mean, she's she's been practicing magic at this point for I think two seasons, maybe maybe a bit longer. I can't mm-hmm. really remember. But I know that that season especially, they focus on how it's a bit of a rabbit hole. Like it's used as a bit of an allegory for like drugs and stuff like that. Um, and the more she's the more she's using it, the more she becomes dependent and relies on it until she goes full dark side. <laughs> yeah, 
And I think that's the closest to it. I mean, not so much to that extent with Dresden Files, but it, it kind of does that whole thing of, um, you know, trying to, like with Victor Sells, I guess, he kind of becomes a bit addicted to using magic to the point where, you know, he's considering using his children to use to fuel the power. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's a really good allegory for, for kind of any addictive behavior, whether it's gambling um, or, uh, like you say, drug drug abuse. Um, it's one of those where, like, it's it's everything in moderation. Uh, and what makes Dresden and the, the Wizards of the White Council to varying degrees so so special and so powerful is that they're able to moderate it. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, one of the strengths of Victor Sells as a villain, and um, he definitely is in some cases uh, one of the weaker villains of the Dresden Files series, um, but he, he still has uh, an understandable motivation, and, and there's a lot more going on in this book, obviously, um, that needs to be covered. Um. But I think one of, one of the strengths of him as a villain is that he's a great um, example of what Harry could become, um, yeah. of uh, the possible danger. Even if Harry doesn't die, even if um, even other wizards like Morgan or uh, Harry's uh, teacher Ebenezer, um, all of them kind of fall into this. Like they could all go down the Victor Sells route. They could all be enticed by this power, this power that um, they would want to use for good. I mean, fuck it. It's even, it's, it's uh, Lord of the Rings with uh, Gandalf uh, or Galadriel, like um, with the, with the one ring. It's, it's all that sort of thing. Like uh, it's a level of power that is um, corrupting, and so it's it's much easier to to bite off a small bit and make sure that you're using that correctly than to take the full force of the the thing. Mm. Um, and I, th- I think it's something that it's a theme uh, in so many different different works, uh, especially around fantasy, um, because it's it's a very human thing, like um, to to gain knowledge or ability or um, means to do something and then constantly want to up the ante um, and uh, dive into it even further and and really allow our our kind of obsessive tendencies to take over. Um, And I think uh, what we're seeing in in this this, uh, short kind of section is that Harry's not immune to that. Mm. Um, he a hundred percent could, um, he could fall. And still, um, I would say, uh, where you're up to in cold days, where I'm up to in skin game and beyond, um, it's still up in the air to some degree. Harry could go bad, mor- uh, morally speaking in his attempts to do good. Yeah. Um, sorry, I realised that I garbled a lot. Uh, for, <laughs> I went on a bit there. Um, however, there is something holding back uh, his uh, power or uh, him losing any morality. 
Um, and that is his silver pentacle amulet, which is the only thing he's got from his mother. Um, and this is a symbol of uh, good magic, white magic, um, that his mother passed down to him. And as Harry begins to have these thoughts of giving in to, to the dark side of magic, um, he feels the silver pentacle burn cold on his chest. Mm. Um, and I think that's really interesting as well that, that they use burn cold because uh, that's, I think that's how they describe soul fire yeah. in later book. Yeah. Um, it's like a, it's like a cold burning sensation. Um, that might just be a, a, a little side thing, but anyway, um, he, so he he uh, feels this sensation in his chest, uh, and he puts his hand to the pentacle, and as he does that, he feels another slim feminine hand grasp his. And Jim Butcher never outright says that this is uh, his mother. I don't really think um, there's anyone else it could be. Yeah. Um, But uh, whether it's more metaphorical um, here is kind of left up to the reader. Um, Or if it's more literal that there is some magic in the pentacle that's allowing his mother to make a connection with him. Um, but as he, as he does this and as he, as he he feels the pentacle amulet and he feels the presence of his mother, he is reminded of the responsibility of magic, um, the power that he holds and the good he can do with it. Um, and that he does not want to be a murderer. He does not want to be um, on the same level as Victor Sells. Um, and he wants to to do good in this world. And and I think it's a great it's a great moment of um, parenting from beyond, from beyond the grave almost. Mm. Um, it's just a, it's just the smallest of moments that just nudges Harry onto the right path. Um, And I cannot help but wonder with uh, the bit that you're, that you're reaching now uh, about the idea that there is some sort of taint in the wizarding world or in, in the magical world that is causing magic users to embrace dark power more readily. Was this some sort of defense that his mother built for Harry to protect him from the dark power? It very well could. I mean, um, I'm always skeptical of anything to do with his mother anyway, because everything we know about her is just a bit shady. Definitely. Because he's a bit of a bit of a rebel, a bit very similar to Harry in like how the council view him, I guess. Um, oh god yeah (laughs) but um, I know later down the line um, there's another moment where I can't remember if it's his amulet or if he receives like another magical item that's kind of been imbued with his mother 
Um, and he gets like another message from her from beyond the grave kind of thing. So, I mean, it very well could be that she knows more about what's going on or that there was a more protective kind of aspect to his amulet besides what there already was. Mm. Um, Do you so, think that Harry's mother is still alive? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, it's very, very hard to say, and it really annoys me because <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we've talked about it as such before. But there, there are points where I'm like, I start, I start, I sit there after reading a chapter, and I'll, I'll start thinking to myself, like, she's, she's got to be alive in some capacity, like, even if she's, um, one of Leanne, she's uh dogs or something like that it, there's there's gotta be something like fishy going on because also if i remember right she didn't die as such did she she just disappeared one day or did i make that bit up i i cannot remember no not can I. um it, it ever explicitly saying she died mm. um I'm just going to do a little Google and just see if there's there's something obvious we're missing um, before we before we categorically say no. This is this is how it is. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so it's it's Margaret Gwendolyn Lethay, uh, who it it claims it claims that she is dead. Um, so, uh, daughter of Ebenezer McCoy, she died while giving birth to Harry due to an entropy curse cast by Lord Wraith. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And her death curse made him unable to feed, which that also makes sense. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, I remember that bit. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I think I think with that uh, being the case, that sounds pretty concrete that she died. Yeah, but then, I, but then she was but, very well known by the Fae and stuff, wasn't she? She was very well known by the Fae, and a death curse normally kills. Yeah. I put it this way: if if uh, Jim Butcher revealed that she is still alive in some form, I would not be surprised. No, nor nor would I. Um, and and death is not death in the Dresden Files. Like that, it has been established with with Ghost Story specifically that that there are very occasional, very specific circumstances that can lead you back. Yeah. Um, that's that's very interesting to me. Um, <laughs> uh, one other possibility is that um, Margaret uh, LaFay McCoy Dresden, whichever uh surname you wanna you wanna take um that she 
knew that she was falling to the dark magic yeah. in some way. Uh, they even talk about in Turncoat um, that she believed in using all aspects of magic, including dark magic. Um, she wanted to revamp the laws of magic to embrace concepts of political justice, particularly in intervening in mortal political affairs by force of magic, rather than simply limiting the use of power and forbidding dark magic. Yeah. Um, and I wonder whether she gave Dresden the pentacle amulet, um, as a way to protect him from the force that she wasn't able to protect herself from. And perhaps distanced herself from him, uh, possibly faking her own death, possibly not, knowing that she would um, become a threat in some way. Yeah. Uh, and it would make a hell of an interesting, major, overarching villain for the series if she was in some way um, the main enemy. I, I'm not going to rule it out <laughs> entirely. No, me neither. That that would be uh, that would be very interesting, huh? Um, <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you want to throw in on that? Not really. I think I've I've run out of things to say because I've I've said it all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, to be honest, I think this is going to be one of our longest episodes. Um, yeah, there, there, there was just so much to kind of cover and talk about here. Um, extremely, extremely uh, interesting chapters. Um, okay, uh, with that in mind, uh, Rob, uh, do you want to do you want to take us out? Yeah, I'll take us out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's yeah. do it. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, so uh, as per usual, review us on iTunes, download us on Spotify, share us with all your friends. We're now on Twitter under Paranet Podcast. Um, it's pretty easy to find. Um, yeah, and thank you to everyone who's supported us so far. We've had nearly 350 downloads, which, like we say every week, is pretty incredible for such a niche kind of subject, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, and one of the things that, that really surprises me, sorry to, sorry to jump in, yeah. Rob, uh, one of the things that really surprises me, more than half of our downloads are from America, oh, uh, sure. which um, we have more American followers and listeners than we have uh, British ones, um, which, uh, hey to everyone across the pond, love uh, the USA, Uh was hoping to come across to Florida myself uh, earlier in the year. Still hoping to come later in the year. Who knows? <laughs> um, but that's that's very very cool, and um, we we would love to hear from all of you, hundred percent. Absolutely, um, yeah. And for next week, uh, we'll be covering chapters twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. We also have a little competition giveaway type thing at the moment of a we're giving away the first two dresden files books um if you've already read them sorry if not you're in luck um i mean if you've already read even, them and get them anyway you can always if you them. already have read them 
both me and Rob are going to sign them. So yeah. they will still be Paranet Podcast Collector's Editions. And if you're like me anyway, and you've already read them, you've already got them, whatever. I mean, I, I have multiple copies of Stormfront just to give them to people. So find someone who's you know want, wants a new book series to get into and give them the first two Dresden books. Sorted. <laughs> um, uh, anything you want to add before we call it? No, I think I think you've covered everything. Um, go for it. Awesome. Uh, in that case, yeah, you've been listening to the Paranet Podcast with your hosts, Rob Davis and... Rob Davis. Oh. I mean, Patrick Lunn. <laughs> I don't forget a thing, fucker. <laughs> I'd forgotten I did that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, crack open a can of Coke. Stay safe in lockdown. Relax. Enjoy what's left of the good weather or what becomes good weather. Who knows? Um, and we'll see you next week for chapters 25, 26, and 27, where we will wrap up Stormfront. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.